This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. We do love our grumps. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, Mackey and Judd back at full strength on this Tuesday. That's that's debatable as to whether or not we're ever at full strength. Long has been debatable. Uh, Mackey and Judd here. Matthew Collar, you can find him on the world-renowned and now getting rave reviews around the country, Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com, iTunes, wherever you would find podcasts. Uh, Let's start here. If you start doing the math, Matthew Collar... And you see Philadelphia, which is a game up on the Vikings, go at Seattle and at the Rams the next two weeks. Now, the Vikings have two tough road games as well, but how likely is it that the Vikings could host their way through the playoffs if they keep winning? I would say possible, but not supremely likely, because I think if you come out of these next two games winning one out of two, going to Atlanta and going to Carolina, you feel like you're in pretty good shape. And the Philadelphia Eagles, even though they do have those tough matchups, I I think they'll probably do the same. They'll probably come out with one win and one loss. And I think this is kind of how it's going to hold in the NFC the rest of the way. Because if you go team by team, everybody who's sort of in that race, they all have a couple of tough matchups at some point, and some are against each other. New Orleans plays Carolina, and I think they play Atlanta twice. So these teams are kind of going to beat up on each other at the end, and my guess would be that you end up with the Vikings somewhere in that mix, but probably not at the top, because Philadelphia, the rest of their games are pretty easy. So even if they split, they'll probably end up something like 14-2 and or 13-3. and But if the Vikings were able to clinch that home field, what a ridiculous advantage for this team. They seem to be almost unbeatable at U.S. Bank Stadium, save for when Adrian Peterson comes back against the Colts. I mean, that, that's the only poor, really, truly poor game I remember them playing. Last year, even when they started to collapse, they had the Thursday night game against Dallas where they didn't get a call on a two-point conversion, but they played a great game against a really good offense. I mean, it seemed like no matter who came in, even Aaron Rodgers had kind of a tough time last year in that first game at U.S. Bank Stadium. It's It's so loud, and it seems like... Like they just play really well there. So you feel like any team they go up against at U.S. Bank Stadium, they could win. So it is important not to put it in cruise control the rest of the way. Philly strikes me, that the more I watch them, as as at least for this year being completely legit, too. Mm-hmm. Like the, the Rams, I'm still, I like them, but I can see the flaws there. Saints, Vikings, perhaps, not, not as much, I don't think. But Philadelphia is the one team that you watch them now against good or bad teams, and you say to yourself... This team lost a, a key offensive lineman. He's gone, and they, that offensive line is still very good. 
This team does not seem to me to be fluky at all. Yeah, and they went out and got another running back, so now they've got two really good running backs. LeGarrette Blunt is a guy that just no one ever pays. They sign on one-year contracts, and then he's almost always good, and he's good again. And then they traded for the running back from Miami, so they've got a good running game. They've got wide receivers they can throw the ball up to down the field. And the more that Carson Wentz goes along this year the more I think, yeah, this is a real, true franchise quarterback. And maybe the Eagles knew what they were doing when they dealt away Sam Bradford to the Vikings and decided to stick with Carson Wentz. I do agree with you on the Rams, and I wonder a little bit about the Saints, too. Whether the Saints' defense had some good days or whether they are a real, legit defense. Because Drew Brees, we know, is. And Elvin Kamara, their running back, is fantastic. But can that defense really hold up as we go down the stretch? Because they really didn't against the Rams. I thought the Rams did a really nice job against them. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. So I, I guess any of these teams you could sell me on, but the team that the Vikings are playing this week in the NFC might be the one that scares you the most because all of a sudden Atlanta has flipped the switch and started to play the same way they did last year. And I think they have a better defense this year than they had last year so it could be one of those situations where early on we kind of wrote off Atlanta like oh they're not going to bounce back and then they start to really get on fire and uh, you know go down the stretch and are one of the best teams going into the playoffs and these games have, have all changed for the Vikings in the last two weeks in scope for a while it was okay this is a tough stretch if you want to make the playoffs you need to do this during that stretch well they've already started 2-0 and during the stretch so they're in the playoffs barring a crazy meltdown against bad teams at the end of the year Now it's about how do the Vikings size up on the road against an MVP, on the road again against maybe a playoff team in Carolina. How do they look down the stretch as you size up their chances in the playoffs? And this one I look at as maybe being their toughest matchup of the entire year. I think I would say that definitively tougher than the Rams because the Rams was at home and also because of the way the defense is designed for Atlanta. We know that they can score, and it's not like the Vikings' defense has been perfect. They gave up 30 points to Washington, and they almost allowed a comeback to the Lions. If Matt Stafford had been a little more accurate in that game, then maybe we're talking about overtime or something like that. Uh, but, you know, going down to Atlanta, they've got guys who really wait, wait for this football term. They fly to the ball, wow, guys. There it is. That's wow. not a football term. That's just awful. That's that's a football that's, cliche and a pun wrapped yeah, into one statement. It's just they're Falcons. Wow. Yeah, it's just awful. What okay. do the Panthers do that? I mean, but, this isn't Buffalo. But dude. I'll, I'll defend. The Panthers it. defense is on the prowl. I'll de- wow. Both, both of you just stop. <laughs> Can we just take a break? I'll defend them flying to the I ball, need to though. They, they have very fast linebackers, which might make it a little more difficult on some of those play action plays because the Vikings have been taking advantage of opponents' linebackers by drawing them in. And I wonder with a quicker set of uh, you know linebackers, and they've got some good safeties too. We'll see if Desmond Trufant plays. Uh, he's putting. Uh, concussion protocol he's their best corner if they lost him that's going to be tough for stopping Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen but that might be the one area where they have not faced a team with this type of speed at at the linebacker position plus they've got a really good pass rush now last year they couldn't really get after the passer and they were one of the worst defenses in the NFL well this year we've seen that be a little bit different for the Falcons so I, I think this is a really difficult matchup on both sides for the Vikings if you split these next two you're happy, right? Yeah, I agree. I, yep. I mean, you, we we can say, well, this team, the expectation. Look, you beat Detroit, and I, I told Phil this. 
You won that game. I don't care how you won. It was four days after the Rams game. You're on the road. You win that game. You don't watch the film. You don't give a damn. But I think these next two games, if you split them, you should be very, very happy. If you yeah. split them, you're thirteen and three. And yeah, I, probably. You're, you're you're seriously flirting with thirteen and three. Yeah. I mean, I think if you split them, you might be looking at going into week 17 thinking you could play Teddy Bridgewater there if Case Keenum has continued to play well and then you could kind of have uh the both worlds that everybody wants i think a lot of fans now are kind of on the the Keenum bus and they want to see him you know continue to ride this hot streak but they also want to see what Teddy Bridgewater looks like for the future now these are two defenses that are going to be really tough carolinas is one of the best in the league too and and this will decide where they finish the season at the quarterback position. Because if Case Keenum struggles over these next two games, then I think Mike Zimmer is going to be ready to see what Teddy Bridgewater looks like at home against Cincinnati. Uh, what does your email inbox and or comment <laughs> sections on your articles look like when you bring up anything that might hint Case Keenum won't be the starting quarterback for the next 10 years in Vikings land? Well, I, I think that most of my tweets are people who believe that Teddy Bridgewater is the more talented quarterback and maybe the long-term answer, but they really don't want to believe that Case Keenum could turn into a pumpkin here. And, you know, I looked at some other quarterbacks who had similar uh, personnel around them, similar talent around them, similar systems. And the one that kept coming up for me with all the numbers that matched up was Andy Dalton, where Andy Dalton early in his career, he made the playoffs, but he wasn't very good. He didn't have a quarterback rating above 90 until his fifth year. But his fifth year, he went bananas and had a 106 quarterback rating. It was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL all of a sudden. Then when you look at his weapons, he had Marvin Jones was there at that time. Mohamed Sanu was there. They had one of the top running games in the league. They had a top defense that was getting them the ball back all the time. And then once some of that deteriorated, Andy Dalton went right back to being Andy Dalton. So Keenum could reasonably keep this up because the personnel around him is just so good. I was looking at that Detroit game. They put the film out late last night, so I was watching it back. So you haven't slept yet, basically. Uh, no, no, no. I've, I've been up for 79 hours watching. Film. Yeah, since actually Thanksgiving. Eating Thanksgiving wild. leftovers for 72 straight <laughs> hours waiting for the meat and potatoes film. Yes. No, we had Crazy. ham instead of turkey, and I still have ham left, and I've put it on. Well, thanks for bringing it in. By the way, I'm, I'm fine with that decision. A lot of people... Uh, this is a totally different conversation. Turkey, I think, uh, doesn't crack the top three in terms of items. Mm. I'm excited. You know for what the wife does now? So. Turkey to go. No more turkey. Turkey to go. Like turkey to go sandwiches. Sandwiches. Oh. It's, but it's succulent. I'll, I'll you use can that do, word again because it's argue, not football, but it sounds football. It's succulent. You can turn the turkey leftovers into sandwiches the day after. No, you can, but what I'm saying is instead of this whole thing of trying to eat the turkey off the bone where it started can get mm, dry and yeah. stuff, we're talking sandwiches sure. from day one. It's fantastic. So, anyways, uh, Lions film yeah. you are talking about. <laughs> yeah, you're watching uh, that game. Well, just the number of times that Adam Thielen found his way open and, and the ways he did it. I, I mean, th th this isn't going to change with Thielen and Diggs. They're going to still be Minnesota Vikings, I think, for a long time. Uh, but you can see just the impact that they are having on Case Keenum and the offensive line, too. Two of the biggest throws from Case Keenum traveled about a total of four yards. He threw a screen pass to Jarek McKinnon where Nick Easton drove his man to the second level. Wow, guys. another one. He I mean, he literally took a linebacker and drove him all the way out of bounds. And Jarek McKinnon turned up field and had an entire street to run through. And then the same thing with the screen pass to Stephon Diggs at the end of the game where they're, they're trying to put the game on ice and he throws a one-yard pass basically to Diggs. 
again, Easton is out there blocking a safety, and he's going. So, I mean, they have kind of the perfect setup here for a quarterback, almost no matter who it was, uh, to, to succeed here. And I'm not saying that Keenum isn't a starter level. Two other teams have thought that Keenum could be a starter and were eventually disappointed. It's just now we're to a five-game segment, and if we're talking about small sample sizes, it's really hard to predict what's going to happen over five games. It's also funny how it's it's almost if you state the truth, which is there's a lot of quarterbacks, backup quarterbacks, who could come in with the way the Vikings infrastructure is set up, and they would thrive. Or or even guys who have been career league average, whether that was Bridgewater two years ago or whoever you want to put in that spot, and their play would be elevated. And to me, that's a truth. But mm-hmm. to a lot of fans, it's like, how? Why are you denigrating but, Case Keenum? No, I mean, it's, but what people you're are, praising all the other areas. What, of, but what people are missing here is they want the, the conversation to be entirely about one position, and it's not. It's about how that position is. They found a good guy to run a system that is working really well, thanks to a coordinator who gets how to use those players. Let's come back and talk more about this. In fact, I just did some digging before the show here today. We brought this up earlier in the show. Um, Case Keenum and where he ranks according to some credible websites, measurements, you'll never believe some of the quarterbacks he's in the same sentence with. Mackie and Judd hanging out with Matthew Collar from 1500ESPN.com and the Purple Podcast. More Vikings next. Here's what you might have missed on a recent episode of the Raised by Wolves podcast. So have y'all, I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't watched enough Wolves ball to know if this is a tendency he's kept. Does he still do the thing where he lets somebody try to drive by him and he tries to pick the pocket from behind. Yes. 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 Okay. That's yes, that's often. a vintage Jeff Teague move. <laughs> so like he loves that he loves that move. And I'm trying to remember who used to do it really well on the Hawks that he learned it from. I think it's an old Jamal Crawford move, actually. Because Jamal has those super long arms. Yeah. I think Joe also used to do it. I think it was kind of an old habit he picked up from those guys where when you get kind of half beat off the dribble rather than really trying to recover, you like try to do a chase down steal. And mm. it's just the success rate's just not high for that. You can find the Raised by Wolves podcast on iTunes or wherever it is you find your podcasts. Download and subscribe today. Vikings just one game back of the Eagles heading down the home stretch of the regular season. Uh, Matthew Collar hanging out with us from 1500ESPN.com and the Purple Podcast, and uh, gentlemen, just doing some digging before the show here, and we could, I mean, we could play the tail of the tape game all day long with Case Keenum, but football outsiders tends to have, I mean, if, if I'm going to pick uh, one all-encompassing ranking tool, I'm probably going to pick something that involves context and how you perform in higher leverage situations than just passer rating, because if you're just going off passer rating, that's how you get three years ago, Blake Bortles as one of the better quarterbacks <laughs> in the NFL. But according to the, uh, the, the I guess, the, the context-laden measurement of pro football uh, outsiders, football outsiders, Case Keenum is the third-best quarterback in the NFL this year behind Tom Brady and Drew Brees. Now, QBR has him, ESPN's QBR, which also takes into account leverage and context, has him number one among active quarterbacks behind only Deshaun Watson, who's out for the year. So you see those, and you're like... 
are we watching Tom Brady? Are we watching Drew Brees when you when you put it into context like uh, that? No, of okay. course you're not watching <laughs> Tom Brady or Drew Brees. I mean, did you see some of the throws that Ben Roethlisberger made the other night? And I mean, I mean or, or Philip Rivers on Thanksgiving Day. I mean, throwing into incredibly tight windows on plays where most quarterbacks have no business making that decision to throw uh, between the cornerback and the safety in a zone, just dropping it in there. The, the catch by Antonio Brown is as good of a throw as it is mm-hmm. a catch. It's flawless, and it sets up winning game, and that's what happens in the playoffs with those elite quarterbacks. Those are the throws that we rarely see from Case Keenum, and I would say the throw to Kyle Rudolph was very good. When I looked at it on tape, it looked like the linebacker for the Lions had some confusion pre-snap, which I guess you could point to Keenum making a possible adjustment there or just the design of the play or just a flip of the coin, and they didn't know what they were doing, and you had the right play call. Uh, but it was not one of those Roethlisberger or Brady-type throws that you see. But the interesting thing with Case Keenum is results versus the people who track every single throw and then grade those throws because the results have him at the top of the league in a lot of these statistics. But the pro football focus where they track all the throws, they've got him as like the 17th best passer. And I noticed that our friend uh, Kean Fahey, who appears on ESPN all the time, he's got an ESPN podcast. Yeah. He spent like three hours on Twitter just fighting with people about why he, why he thinks Case Keenum sucks, basically. Yeah, he put out an article today where he tracked every pass from last year. He had already done that for a, a book that he does. And then he's tracked everyone from this year. And he found Case Keenum to be more accurate last year than he is this year. It's just that these receivers... You cannot miss with Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. I mean, there are even passes that we remember as like, oh, yeah, nice little play there where the throw is low and so he still goes and gets it. Or, or it's way too high, and instead of being able to run after the catch, there's one, I think, in L.A. Thielen catches LA. almost everything. Yeah. You are surprised when he doesn't yeah. make a catch. Against L.A., yes. there's a play, especially on tape, you can really see it, that if it's a good throw, he catches and just cruises to a touchdown. Instead, he has to make a diving catch. And I think that there's where some of the gap is and why the head coach of this team will not say – Oh, yeah, yeah, he's our guy. Because when in 2014 and 2015, whether it's pro football focus or Kean, they both had these same results. Teddy Bridgewater was one of the most accurate passers in the entire NFL. And if you think that's just because of short passes, well, Case Keenum is throwing just as high of a percentage of short passes. In fact, I think because he's hit a couple of really long bombs, Mm -hmm. there's this idea that he's just having so much success on long throws. I mean, he really isn't. I mean, when I, I... Looked at it for an article before Thanksgiving, so I haven't counted that yet. But it was something like six for twenty-one between twenty and forty yards. Yeah, I mean that, that that's not really that great. It's just a lot of times we've seen big yards after catch. Stephon Diggs has two of these now, where he caught it on like a five or ten yard pass and took it fifty or sixty yards. We've seen big screen passes take it for big yards. And that's to take nothing away from the whole offense. You just wonder when a guy, the the people tracking the actual throws are finding that the accuracy is an issue and then the results are so great. Like, when will those two things come closer to each other? That, to me, is the key thing here. We are now into a point where the results are so great and the offense is operating as a unit so well that do you do you potentially take that step and go to a guy who you think might be an improvement right now and you know long-term probably is, 
Or do you say to yourself, this thing is operating so well collectively that we can't afford to upset that? That's That becomes, to me, the key question. Another here. way to frame this, because I, I feel like every time we get into this, like... It sounds like we're ripping Case Keenum, and we're really what we're do- I mean, what we're doing is we're praising Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, offensive line, all these other components. Pat Shermer too, and yes. Pat Shermer. It's pretty rare in the NFL that all the other pieces and the wide receivers elevate a quarterback's play a notch or two. Usually, it's the other way around. I got where- a perfect one though. Ninety-eight. Cunningham comes off the bench, right? And we perceived him as oh, he's washed up, he's old, and guess what? Billick was. It was never a great passer. No, even. and Bill and Billick said, not surprisingly, this rookie is really good. This Moss, <laughs> he's really good. In fact, yeah. you know what? I'm going to abort most of what I probably planned on doing and make it so we're throwing jump balls. And it worked for mm-hmm. an entire year, or at least up to the title game. So that that to me becomes the dynamic that's intriguing here is that you are looking at a unit, not just one guy. You're looking at an entire unit operating at a level where you say, "Do you really want to end that?" Well, I think the biggest question for me is: Did we just see the norm, or did we just see the peak of the Minnesota Vikings offense? Because small samples will just make you believe in things that are totally not there. And the great example this year is the Kansas City Chiefs. If you watched the first five games of the season, you would have thought Alex Smith is the best quarterback in the NFL, and the Kansas City Chiefs are unstoppable. They're going to fly to the Super Bowl. This is going to be easy. And then this week they just scored, what, like 10 points against the Bills? And, and because teams have adapted to their offense and what they're doing and they've got every bit of the weapons and the offensive line and the offensive creativity i mean remember andy reed is basically the guy that schooled pat germer in the league so i mean you've got a lot of that creativity west coast all that stuff that sets up quarterback to succeed but in the end alex smith is still alex smith and his problems have shown up as teams have adjusted to what they're doing so that's my question over these next couple of games are two very good teams, Atlanta and Carolina, going to adjust to some of the things that Case Keenum has been able to have success with and slow those down, and then are we going to see some of the shortcomings revealed here? Because I think where everyone would stand, whether you love Keenum and you want him the quarterback for the rest of the time or not, I think anyone who watches the game with any shred of objectivity would say that there's some shortcomings there. He's just been able to overcome those at times and he's gotten a lot of help i think we could all agree on that it's just how long can that model really last and when you go into the playoffs because now the playoff picture is becoming very clear teams are starting to sink out your dallas's washington's they're starting to kind of disappear and now you've got beasts and great quarterbacks and league mvps and super bowl winners and this is the wrong year to do this for the vikings really i mean you're talking about in the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens might make the playoffs. And over here, you got Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, and then two guys who were at the top of the draft last year. So you're going to have to beat some great quarterbacks in order to really make this happen. So I think I really like the way that Mike Zimmer has slow played this. It's almost like Mike Zimmer plays cards or Mike Zimmer believes in regression to the mean. Those things that we wouldn't necessarily tag Mike Zimmer with believing in. But the way he slow played this, it makes me think that he's kind of looking at it the same way as we are. Let's see this over a bigger sample before we really decide. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting because even, even if the carriage turns into a, pump, a pumpkin with Case Keenum on these next two road games... Is there enough time for Teddy Bridgewater if that's the play? If and, and 
And for people groaning, this is a Mike Zimmer-driven conversation. Mike mm-hmm. Zimmer yep. continues to say, Bridgewater's going to play. Bridgewater's going to get in. It's just a matter of time. Is there enough time? Is there enough runway left if he starts a game in Week 15 against the Bengals at home to get to the ceiling that he needs to get to to be better than what Case Keenum has been giving you? So there's a lot of storylines within storylines here coming coming ahead for the Vikings. I think what you are at now is is if he struggles really badly in these next two games, that you give Teddy the chance uh, here against Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and if if. He looks good. You stay on that track. But this also gets back to, to the conversation that we've had a lot, which is you can always go back to case. Yep. You break the momentum possibly, but you could still go back to case. So I don't think it's it's that you replace case and case is done for sure. I think it's if it's two bad games, Zimmer at least has to answer the question in his mind, could Teddy be an upgrade? That's the one thing that has made Case Keenum so good for this situation is that Dan Patrick's bringing him on his show, and ESPN's got him on, and everybody, every national outlet wants to talk to Case Keenum, this magical story and all that, and he's doing all the interviews, and he's doing our media thing every week and all that. It doesn't seem like anything can shake him at all. That the mental makeup of these two quarterbacks, he and Bridgewater, is just through the roof, and I think the Vikings knew that when they got him. They knew that they were getting one of the NFL's absolute best backup quarterbacks. Anytime a guy can have some mild success as a starter and be named a starter for other teams that are bad, you figure, well, you know, I mean, they must see something there for him to possibly be their starter. And he came in with a 9-7 and record in his last 16 games before this with teams with good defenses but no weapons. So I, I think the front office saw not only his personality but his borderline starting skill and thought if we put him into this, if he has to come into this, he can handle it. And he showed us in Chicago that if the guy's standing over there on the sideline, that he's engaged enough in the game to walk right in and just take over a game plan. So if you if he did struggle in these next two games and Zimmer did want to start Teddy Bridgewater – then if Bridgewater looked like he just wasn't there, you could always go back to Case Keenum, and he's not going to be a, a pouty puss. Yeah. This is fun. I mean, this is uh... I'm sorry. What was that? I mean, his face. He's not going to pout in his face. A pouty, like, a pouty, a pouty puss. puss. I just like the phrase. Yeah. It feels like a Dr. Get... Seuss character, yes. like a pouty puss. Yeah. Oh, here comes pouty puss quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was well, starting today. I mean, we, we've seen this, well, though, before many times oh, where yeah. – Backup quarterbacks, they just sort of disengage because they well, think they should be the they, guy or yeah, whatever. They, yeah. they perceive themselves as starters. Yeah. Keenum actually knows that, that this is... I, I think if you if you got him full of truth serum, the case would admit this is a magic ride. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's going to be like, oh, of course, this is always he's me. He's super humble. Yeah, he does. Yeah. I think he'd yep. say, yeah, you know, we're on to something sort of, sort of special here. I sort of get that. Yeah, and it's, like it's, o- it's, o- it's okay to create a pie chart of praise, copyright Mackie and Judd. And yeah, have if, if you were to create a Green Bay Packers pie chart of offensive praise the last five <laughs> to ten years, yep. it's ninety percent Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Except for the game against the Steelers the other night where Brett Hundley looked like uh, the second coming of Brett Favre. But if you're gonna do it for the Vikings, it's okay to say that Adam Thielen gets like fifteen to twenty percent mm-hmm. and Rick Spielman for fixing the offensive line gets a bunch mm-hmm. and Stefan Diggs gets a bunch over here and the and blah 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 and the quarterback gets a smaller chunk of it. Yeah. That's 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 I, yeah, my view. Yeah. On. And and I think you could come up with a million examples of where the supporting cast has made someone who they are, but it's just varying degrees. Like if you just sort of were to hold out your hands, like is it from here to here or is it from here to here for how much the supporting cast is helping? Like I like to bring up the stat that Tom Brady threw 24 pick or 24 touchdowns without Randy Moss then the next year he threw 50. 
He was still Tom Brady at that time. He was still that good, but when you give him Randy Moss caring, holy cow, he's going to be unstoppable, and he was that year. And we've seen that from all sorts of different quarterbacks throughout their careers. Aaron Rodgers had some struggles when Jordy Nelson went down, and then they built that offensive line back up, and it was really good, and Nelson came back, and then all of a sudden, here he is again. Matt Ryan, good quarterback through the entire time, but... They had a 5-0 and season where they fell apart and struggled. They signed the center from Cleveland, Mack. They got Sanu they brought in. They got a great offensive coordinator at the time. And then all of a sudden, he's the league MVP. So you see varying degrees to this all over the place. Why wouldn't a fringe starter all of a sudden become a good quarterback when he's got two Pro Bowl caliber receivers, a mobile offensive line, a really great offensive coordinator? It's just the the question is, how long will this continue? It's not whether he's done a great job or not. We all agree he's done a phenomenal job. It's just the question in my mind, and Mike Zimmer's too, is can that keep up? Can that beat Russell Wilson in a playoff game? Yeah. Can that beat Matt Ryan in a playoff game? And, yeah. and that, I think, has become now that they are where they are, Mike Zimmer's singular focus. Matthew Collar, find his work, 1500ESPN.com and the Purple Podcast. Back with more Mackie and Judd next. Call it Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait, what rewards? A Dew Operator Skin. Man, I love Operator Skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. College duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and 320 and 23.